So this is what we're going to do tonight. Destiny, part one. Here is the most difficult task assigned to any individual or group on the planet. And I want you to follow these words. It's moving a group of people from one position to another position. And it's just not moving people around, but you're moving them from one position to another position for the glory of God and ultimately for the good of humanity. Did you all see that? This is not a joke. Moving a group of people from one position to another position for the glory of God and for the ultimate good of humanity. It is the most difficult task on the planet. And I'm going to prove this to you in just a minute. When you look at the book of Numbers, I want you to know that it is more than just moving people spatially. Egypt is a position that the people find themselves in. Canaan is a position that God wants them in. So write this down. The journey for God is about positioning people. That's what the journey means to God. How do I rightly position my people for the things I've ordained for them for my glory and for the good of humanity. So God is taking Israel from one position, one state, that's Egypt. Don't think of a place, think of a position, to another position, that's Canaan. And when they get to Canaan, they will be rightly positioned to bless humanity. Agreed? Well, how do I know that? Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, I'm going to... Well, hard. And by the way, here's a scripture for you. Write this on your fridge. Whenever I tell you to put a scripture on your fridge, it's important. This is what God says to them when Moses takes over the second generation. I brought you out one position so that I might bring you in another position. That's why I took you out. I did not take you out for you to die in the wilderness. So death in the wilderness is not my will for your life. Agreed? Something has happened along the way, but that's not why I brought you out. I brought you out so that I would bring you in because I swore something to your fathers. I made a promise to them. Here's what makes it hard. Watch. Two things make the journey hard. Number one, and these are the things I believe that we underestimate in the body of Christ. We don't take them seriously, even though we talk about them. Number one, the unrelenting opposition of the devil. It's 
unrelenting. It doesn't stop. It keeps going and going and going. So immediately you start realizing that there is opposition to the journey. There are forces that militate against Though you and I want to go in, though they wanted to go in, there are forces that militate against them going in. And those forces don't stop. They just keep going and going and going. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Two things. Be sober. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> Be vigilant because your adversary, there you go. And he's seeking whom he can stop from getting to their rightful position. So don't underestimate the devil. Don't live in a society where when you talk about the devil, people laugh at you, but in Halloween, they welcome him. <laughs> you follow? Oh, you guys believe in that Satan stuff, talking serpents, devils. This is the technological age. That's exactly what the devil wants you to think, that he does not exist. Let's do something quickly. Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. Everything. Beautiful environment. God reminds us, listen, that there's deceptive subtlety all around you. So the opposition, listen, is deceptive. It's not designed for you to see it and understand it. It's deceptive. And what you and I are going to see as we go through the book of Numbers, the greatest place for the opposition to take place is where? Internally. <laughs> you're going to see that Israel, they don't fight as many external wars as they fight amongst themselves. Did you see that? So on the journey, maybe four or five external wars, but they fight Moses. They fight each other. They complain. Because a house divided... <laughs> you see the subtility? So why are you surprised when you put leaders together and they fight each other? <laughs> What we should do is we should be sober and wake up and realize that there are forces that are fighting the journey of us being rightly positioned. That's a good one to say amen, but this one you might not say amen to because it's, this is objective. The devil's out there. Here's the subjective one now. The second reason why the journey becomes hard is that there are deficiencies inherent in my nature. So the first one was outside of me. There's an enemy outside of me. Guess what? Can I tell you the second one? There's an enemy, Robert, inside of me. <laughs> Did you see that? There's an enemy outside. That's the devil. But there's an enemy inside me that's running counter to where God wants me to go. That's incredible, isn't it? So so David, on one side, I'm saying to God, I want to go there. But there's something inside of me fighting 
where God wants to take me. Because I have a fallen nature and that's underestimated in the body of Christ. So let me show you what Paul says so that you don't have to blame yourself. Look what Paul says about himself. Are you ready for this? For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh dwelleth. <laughs> and you read that whole chapter. He, he, he's in this quandary because that which I want to do, I don't do it. That which I don't want to do, that's what I find myself. And every time I try to do good, evil is. You see the challenge now? So if I'm not being fought externally, I'm being fought internally. So when I want to pray, my flesh tells me, go to bed. When I want to worship, my flesh tells me, your hands are too tired. Because there's an internal deficiency. David is a funny guy because if you go to Psalm 51 verse 5, he's trying to confess his sins to God, but he reminds God of why he did what he did. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. <laughs> Just want to remind you that I've got some issues on the inside. And they're going to, can I say, fight. Now watch this. Here's how the devil wins. If he could ever partner with your flesh. <laughs> Finished. You see that? He wants to partner with my flesh. God wants to partner with my spirit. And it's a battle for partnership. <laughs> Did you see and understand that now? There's an enemy trying to say, I want to work with your flesh, Robert. I want to work with all those fallen things inside of you. Your attitude and your desires. And God's saying, I want to work with your spirit. And this is fighting us along the way as we go and we go. But to perform that which is good... I can't find it. Quickly, let's do something quickly. The dilemma is sometimes we blame the devil for what's really our flesh. <laughs> is that right? And sometimes we blame our flesh for what is really the devil. me and we have to discern between the two now watch here are the solutions and then i'm going to show you how this works in the book of numbers the first one is know your adversary so we should we should take the time to know how the devil works so that watch we are not ignorant of his devices right so we should know that's that's not of god that's him so Paul says it like this. You can see it right there in 2 Corinthians. He says, if you don't know him, he's going to take advantage of you. But he reminds us that we are not ignorant of his 
devices. And another word for device in the King James is his wiles. The wiles of the devil. You're going to see that word when we get there in the book of Numbers, when they get to a place called Shittim. And the enemy convinces them to sleep with the women of Shittim. And God calls that the wiles of Baal. Ever seen, I don't know if this crowd is, I'm sure some people, we used to watch the um, Looney Tunes and Warner Brothers cartoons. Remember Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, all that? But you remember the other group, there was this uh, bird, the roadrunner, and he would run on the road. And there was always a coyote chasing the roadrunner, trying to kill him. Do you know the coyote had a name? What's his name? Wild E. Coyote. <laughs> it's, isn't that amazing how in cartoons, his name is Wild, his middle name is E. Coyote. And what he does is he comes up with all these devices to do what? To trap and to destroy or kill the roadrunner. It's the same thing in the spirit. The enemy has devices, strategies working, but they are deceptive. They're so subtle that sometimes they're working and we don't even see that they're working. And the worst place for them to work is in our midst. And we not recognize them. Hmm? The greatest thing that we could ask God for other than wisdom today and love and faith is discernment. Open our eyes so we can see what's really at work. Grace, when you're working at the food bank and certain things begin to happen, open my eyes so I can see what's at work. Is that a person or is that a spirit? We don't bind people, we bind. <laughs> but you've got to discern before you bind. So this is what Paul says, we don't want to be ignorant. The second solution, we're almost there now, is know yourself. And then be prepared to discipline yourself. I'll show you the scripture in a minute. Know what your appetites are. What my appetites are, Robert. What my weaknesses are. What my inclinations are. What things grab my attention. Where am I weak? Where am I strong? And be honest with you. Does that make sense, everyone? So you know where you are weak because you cannot discipline what you don't know. So number one, you can't be ignorant of him, but you can also not be ignorant of your yourself. So listen to what Paul says, and he's a perfect example. He says, watch this. He says, but I keep under my body and I bring it into because I don't want to be preaching and teaching and doing and dancing and singing and building. And then in the end, I am a castaway. So one of the solutions is know me and be willing to discipline me. So it becomes personal. And when I can take me into control, the devil will have no place in me. Make sense, everyone? Everyone's responsible, even the one with the microphone to know the adversary, know self, and to discipline self. Because guess what? We want to answer this gentleman from Nigeria. We want to answer ourselves as well. We want to go in. And we don't want to be a generation that dies talking about the promises. But we want to be a generation that's lived in the promises. Because once you live in it, you can pass it on to your next the next generation you know, it's easy for me, Val, to tell my children, God promised. 
And they might believe, but it's a lot more effective if I pass on the promise and say, continue stewarding what God has opened up to us in this generation. So far, so good? All right, I'm enjoying this myself. So let's do this, chapter 1 to 10. It's going to be a lesson in God's ways. We've got about 35 minutes. If I move quickly, it's because I'm trying to get there. But if I don't, we'll do the rest next week. So this is God taking the time, sisters and brothers online, in the sanctuary, to show us his way into his promise. So he says, if you want what I have, what I promised, follow these guidelines, you can get them. Be diligent, be faithful, and you will get into what I promised. If we don't get there, whose fault is it? Let's be honest with ourselves. Because sometimes we don't get there and we blame. If we don't get into what we say the Bible says we should have, it's my fault. It's our fault. No one else's fault. It's not God's fault. Because we're going to learn in this book, in the book of Numbers, guess what? As we're walking around in circles, God is not a man. Funny, it's in the book of Numbers, eh? That you're reminded of that promise. So it's a less than God's ways. Here's what God's going to do to Israel. He's going to take them at that mountain and tell them, I'm going to make you an ordered nation. I'm going to show you how to march. I'm going to prepare you for ministry. And I'm going to show you how to watch, how to exhibit mastery. If you follow my instructions, I'm going to show you these things. How to march, because the steps of a good man are ordained by God. So I'm going to show you how to walk into promise. I'm going to show you how to minister even on the way to promise when you get there. And I'm going to prepare you for mastery. That's what chapters 1 to 10 is all about. When you get to chapter 11, it all goes wrong (laughs) because of or something else around me. So here's another lesson we can learn. God can tell us all the right things and they still go wrong. Right? He can give us all the right preaching, all the revelation, all the knowledge, and it still goes wrong if we don't follow the instructions. So let's do one more thing. One of the greatest things that we need on the journey, it starts with the big O. Can anyone shout at me what it is? Shout it louder. Obedience. It's not a fancy word. It's not, a, it's not one of those words that titillate us, but it's so critical Because God is going to teach us his ways. His ways are connected to his promises. And to get there, people of God, we need to obey. Do you know that we're standing right here because of one man's obedience? (laughs) And we're a part of the body of Christ because of one man's obedience. And the stuff that I'm talking about that's in me that isn't good, it's the product of one man's disobedience. (laughs) So let's look at this now. Israel. He's going to, first, chapter 1 and 2, he's going to prepare them or watch, order them for marching. He's going to say to them, there's a way that I want you to walk into this promise. Write this scripture down, everyone, in your notes. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. That's another refrigerator scripture. All things must be done decently and in order. So this is going to be the epitome of order. God's going to show Israel how to be. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. So here's what he's going to do. And there it is. It's, it's actually there. Thank you so much for that, by the way. That's awesome. 
So this is what he does. He tells Moses, count them, right? Remember that? That's why the book is called Numbers. So what he's going to do, he's going to number all the sons for battle. Now, don't think gender now. When God uses sons in the Old Testament, though he is talking about males, he's actually depicting a relationship. So count all of those that are in relationship with me for battle. So he's going to create armies. There's a reason why God is doing this. It's going to go back to what I told you before, why the journey is difficult. Every son is to be counted for battle. Let's look at this. Take the sum, count them, of all the congregation, by the house, numbers by their name, every male by their poles from 20 years up, and number them by their armies. So I'm preparing them for battle. Now, this is simple, right? Why would God do that? The journey requires warriors. Isn't that interesting? So the journey is not a dance. It's not a walk in the park. It requires, right from the get-go, before they leave Mount Sinai, God puts into their mind, there's going to be opposition. So I need people who are prepared to, let's do this, fight the good fight of, lay hold to eternal life. So right from the get-go, God teaches them, if I'm preparing you with armies, it's because I need warriors. Let's go one step further. If the journey requires warriors, it assumes opposition. So before you leave the mountain, get this in your mind. You said, I give my life to Jesus. I got baptized. Opposition. <laughs> I've joined the ministry. I'm a part of the church. I'm a Christian now. Opposition. It, it's assumed you're going to have opposition because you're part of that group that's being moved from one position, Egypt, to another position, Canaan, for what? For the glory of God and for the good of humanity. So not only is God going to be glorified when you get and I get to the right position, but humanity is also going to be blessed. And there's an enemy that wants to do everything in his power to stop that. So opposition, I wish we would tell people in the catechism, new converse class, new, there's going to be some opposition. So they're not surprised when they're challenged on the journey. So the need for warriors assumes opposition. The second thing God does is, once he's counted them, he then tells Moses, position them. Remember last week, we did the diagram, put them in their right place around the tabernacle. Position them. Is it now that I should fall on my knees, Lord, or later on in the notes? I can't remember when I'm going to fall on my knees. Every Israelite has a place. <laughs> Let me say that again. Every Israelite has a place. I cannot tell you how important that is. Every Israelite has a place determined by God so that we're just not wandering around trying to figure out where am I supposed to be because when you look at Israel, they are a body. If they're a body, the finger has a place. It just doesn't come out of the back. <laughs> the foot has a place. The eye has a place. The mouth has a place. And when all the pieces are in place, the body becomes functional. So everyone should be screaming, God, what's my place? 
What is my place? I don't want to be on the journey. I do not want to be out of place. Because it's going to affect the journey. Ultimately, it's going to impact us getting in. God, make me rightfully placed. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 22. I hope I'm right. Let every man abide in his calling wherewith God has called him. So part of my prayer should be, God, help me to be rightly placed. Do not allow me to be out of place, not only for myself, but for who else? For others in the body that need me to be rightly placed. So you see, it's not, it's not a selfish prayer. It's very much a collective prayer. He needs to be in his place. You need to be in your place. I need to be in my place. We, now go higher. Everyone that claims to be in the body of Christ needs to be in their place. So to me, global prayers for God to move the church means nothing if people are not in their place. You're just going to pray and pray and sweat and sweat. So if people aren't in their place in Europe, if people aren't in their place in Africa, in India, you just go, and pray and pray and pray. But the real answer is, God, put me in my place. So I'm getting this from the book of Numbers, so I'm not, I'm not just making stuff up. Every Israelite has a place. Every Israelite. So every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard with the enzyme of their father's house about the tabernacle shall they pitch. Everyone has a place, a situation where they're supposed to be in. Oh, this is good for me. I don't know about you. So then we can teach this. If God positions us, proper placement is vital for progress. Because now we're getting ready to go forward, right? So going forward is based on everyone being in their place. So don't put the guy who can't sing to sing. Don't put the guy who can't play to play. Don't put the girl who doesn't like people in hospitality. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because what are we doing? We are hindering progress. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I like this, Pastor. This has always been, but is that your place? Because after a while, we're going to be hindering our own progress. So God knows why he's putting them there, this person there, that person there. He knows what he's doing. Do this in your workplace. Do this in your organizations. Do this in the ministry. Everyone has proper placement. And then with this, watch, it gets beautiful because with proper placement, then when they get up to march, remember I told you this? What's the first direction that gets up? Somebody shout it back at me. Shout it back. East gets up first, right? What's the second direction that gets up? South. What's the third direction? West. What's the north? And what direction is that? Clockwise. Notice how God is? Timing. Every Israelite has a time to march. So timing is everything. I think this is beautiful. We don't all arrive at the same time. So not only should we understand placement, we should also understand timing. This is God's order. So watch this. 2 verse 9, they were numbered in their camp. Judah gets up and they shall be the ones that set forth first. 
and after them the next group on the south side, the next group, and the next group. Just a little humor. Do you think, especially if we were there, that some of us would be tempted to get up when it's not our turn? And do you think we'd say something like this? The Lord told me. <laughs> the Spirit told me to get up now. And what can you say to that? You can't say anything because sometimes disorder is cloaked under spirituality. And the hardest thing to address is disorder that's cloaked under spirituality. Because people are telling themselves, God told me to do that. So there's this. Yeah, I think I was saying that so we can go ahead with this. Synchronicity is pivotal for success. Being in step with time. If you need another scripture, go to Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1. I hope I'm right. To everything there is a season and there is a time to every purpose under heaven. Go back to synchronicity. Thank you for that. Synchronicity. So Israel was in step with time. And I would say this. They were in step with God's time. So they were where God wanted them to be at the time that God wanted them to be. That makes them, can anyone help me tonight? That makes them the big R word. Ready? What's the big R word? When you are in step with time and where you're supposed to be, you are relevant. <laughs> Correct? When you're out of step with time and not where God wants you to be, you are irrelevant and the salt has lost its savor. It is good for nothing but men because it's not relevant. So what God was showing Israel was how to be relevant on the journey. I'm here. You're here with me. Can I show you one more thing? This is the Old Testament way of teaching you how to walk in the spirit in step with time. Synchronicity is pivotal for success. The clockwise motion simply means that timing is everything. It's everything. There's a window open. They're ready for it. God is doing something. They're right there. They're in sync with God. They're in step with God. Timing is, is everything. So far, so good, everyone? And then the last thing in preparing them. So you see that? God prepares them. He positions them places them, shows them the importance of timing, but he also tells them where he belongs on the journey. So they will never put God in the back. Principle, God is never in the back. There's only two positions that God will assume on the journey. What's the first one, everyone? He will be in the, or he will be in the. So at one point, the, the ark will go in the front to search out a resting place. And secondarily, God will always be in the middle. Either he's the center or he is the leader. So he's never in the back. He's either in the center, he's the hub. Everything swivels around him or he's the one directing us. Yahweh in the midst or in the front. You can take this principle into your personal life, couldn't you? So you don't need it in the collective. Is he in the center of your life? And is he at the head of your life? Then we take it into the collective body. We ask the question, is he the center of this ministry? And is he at the head of this ministry? And we answer those questions honestly, consistently. 
So here we go. Knowing God's place on the journey assures success. Knowing where God belongs. I would argue this, that the individual becomes the collective. So if I know where God belongs in my individual life, it's easy for me to bring that into the collective setting. But think about this for a minute, brothers and sisters. What if, let's say, everyone on this side believed that God belongs in the back, and everyone on this side believes that God belongs in the front, and then we all come together to worship? What, what's that called? Say it again. Say it again. Chaos, confusion. <laughs> that's what that's called. So we all have to believe the same thing, that God is the head of my life, so when I go to a ministry that God is the head of, it just it's the continuity of what I believe. God is in the midst of my life. So now, that seems to be okay, right? Everyone got that? Because there's no movement, right? <laughs> so it's easy. There's no movement. Everyone's there, pitched by their standards. Levites around the tabernacle, Moses, East, everyone's got that. Then God shifts now in chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and he starts talking about ordering them for ministry. And he uses the Levites to typify the principle. Remember this, the Levites are not the only ones that are going to be in ministry. Can I show you something? The whole nation is in ministry. Do you agree with that? So the farmer, the fisherman, the person in the field, everyone is in ministry or they're in service to God in their particular callings, responsibilities, and vocations. But he's going to show you how the Levites typify what we call ministry. The reason why I had to say that is, in the mind of many in the church, ministry is something that happens inside four walls. So the person who works at the bank cannot understand how working in the bank is ministry. Do you understand the challenge that they're having? The person, the school teacher, does not figure out how this, I'm in ministry for God. And so when God gives a teaching gift, she, he, does not understand that I'm gifted to teach in the school. She said, oh, no, no, no. The pastor who teaches, he's got the gift of teaching. I'm a school teacher. <laughs> you see how we don't understand how, watch, the earth is and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell. Ministry is service to God wherever he has placed you. True? All right, all right. Okay, so the, he's going to order them for ministry using Levites. He's going to show you a few things. I'm going to show you about duty, demands, and devotion. Duty. Every Israelite has an assignment. Should I fall on my knees again? Every Israelite has an assignment. The question is, do I, do you know what your assignment is? What I believe Orm Mikkel messes up the world is that people are working. They're not in their assignment. There's a difference. There are people who work but it's not their assignment. And they work of necessity because they need to survive. And then it, it challenges faith levels because they don't believe that God has already thought about the fact that your assignment also takes care of you. So you have a lot of people today doing jobs, nothing wrong with jobs, but they may not necessarily be where they are assigned. And that's why customer service is challenged at times, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You know the girl in the Tim Horton window who doesn't really want to be there, but she's just there because she has to be there, and you come along and you've really, you know, pushed her because you've asked for extra cream? <laughs> and you know the rest of the story, right? <laughs> Out of purpose. 
out of place. Every Israelite has an assignment. Watch this. It gets better. And the assignment comes by birth. Did you get that, everyone? The assignment is given by birth. So what God does, typifying using the Levites, he will show you that they were born to do this. So if you were not born to be a Levite, you could not do what the Levites were doing. In other words, the assignment is your birthright. So no one can tell you to do it. No one can stop you from doing it. You were actually born to do it. I think part of the difficulty on the journey too is that the devil confuses us so we don't know what our birthright is. So we don't know what we're born to. That means we're wired to do that. It runs through our system. That's what we think about. Sometimes if you ask people, what do you dream about? They'll actually be telling you what they're born to do. Sometimes they don't believe that they can do it. So they end up doing things that they're not born to do, things that are not their birthright. I think, Joel, if I'm right, I believe Robert taught himself how to play. <laughs> I think that's phenomenal. One day he woke up and realized, this is my birthright. And it just started to watch. It just started to come out of him, not come into him. See the difference? When you're born for something, it comes out of you. No one has to put it inside of you. So the Levites... They're born according to being of the tribe of Levi. Bring them and present them to Aaron that they may minister unto me. Only them. So it doesn't matter how much I admire the Levites. If I'm over in Judah, I'm not born to do what they're doing. Assignment is by ordination now. This is in time now where God says, I see that you know what you're born to do. I'm going to publicly ordain you to do that. So ordination in the Bible is recognition of what you were born to do. Val, that's what we've done wrong. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes in ministry, we ordain people simply because they want to do it. <laughs> Not because we recognize that they were born to do it. That's why after ordination, some people quit. <laughs> you can't quit what you were born to do. <laughs> So we've kind of misconstrued. Ordination is me or somebody in authority recognizing you were born to do that. So now we lay hands on you in agreement with heaven. And that agreement says it's established. So if I lay my hands on somebody, I hope that it's because God has already laid his hands on them. So Moses is going to take them in chapter 4. And he's going to ordain them, numbered at, by the hand of Moses. And the hand of Moses, by the way, is very, very, pop, very, very powerful in the text. It suggests that Moses' hand is in sync with God's hand. I'm telling you this. this. I'm not making this up. So when they got to the Red Sea, God told Moses, stretch out your, and I will divide the sea. <laughs> Did you see that? Stretch out your hand. I will divide the sea. Your hand and my hand are the same. That's why they should have recognized who Moses was <laughs> and not play with such a person. Devotion is also important as God is ordaining and preparing them for service. Every Israelite had to commit to cleanliness. 
every single one of them. So God says, now, every one of you, put away anything that defiles, anything that's dead, anything that makes unclean, get it out of the camp. Because those are the things that are going to slow us down. They're going to hinder us. And may I also say this, uncleanness, whether it's in me or in you, gives the enemy inroads. Agreed? It gives him avenues in so that he can lodge there. All right, so watch 5 verse 2. Watch. Command the children of Israel, not just the Levites, now all of them, that they put out of the camp every leper, unclean, everyone that hath an issue, whatever is defiled by the dead, put it outside of the camp. Another devotion area is... I, this, these are my words, by the way, so this is not the Bible saying this. Every Israelite is committed to their commitment. You're going to see this in something called the Nazarite vow, where God says, if you take this vow, you better keep this vow. In other words, on the journey, be a person of your word. Fair? Because God is committed to us on the journey, we should also be committed to him. Let me put it like this. Jesus would say on the journey, let your yea be, say it to me, and your nay should be, absolutely. So we're not guessing if you're going. <laughs> we're not guessing if you're doing. Your yea is yea, your nay. And notice what he says, your yea is yea. Means if you're not going to do it, just say that. <laughs> but don't say you're going to do it and not do it. So every Israelite is committed to their commitment. This is seen in the Nazarite vow. This is the law. If he's vowed, offering to the Lord, according to the vow which he has vowed, so he must do after the law of his separation. Keep your word is the simple truth of the Nazaritic vow. Be a person of your word. And guess what? They didn't all have to take this vow, but if they chose to take it, better keep it. See the principle? So God's not putting any pressure on you. But if you say, I'm going to do, do it. There's a parable. I think you know the parable, right? Jesus said two, a father had two sons. And what did he ask the boys to do? Go out in the field. And one guy said, I go, but he didn't go. Another guy said, I didn't, I don't want to go. Ultimately changed his mind. Jesus said, which one of those do you think did the will of God? Let's keep going a little further. Now some demands. This is beautiful. Joel, if you will, please. Every Israelite, watch this, was blessed before the journey started. This is phenomenal. You all know this. In fact, they wrote a song called The Blessing, and they took it from Numbers. Every Israelite, God told Moses, lift up your hands with Aaron and command them to be blessed. And when I look at that understanding of blessed, it means they were empowered to prosper in the thing that God sent them to. Did you follow what I'm saying? Stop writing for a second. If you've made your notes, let me bless you. And let's, I want you to lift your hands and I want you to receive this. If you're online, I want you to receive this. And the Lord speak unto Moses. Go ahead, Joel. Sing unto them. You know the song. Oh my goodness. Speak unto Aaron. And on this wise, you're going to bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, Rama, the Lord bless thee and keep thee for this journey. Notice what's in the blessing, that he's going to preserve us on the journey. It goes on by saying, the Lord make his face shine upon us, and the Lord is gracious unto us. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us, 
and the Lord give us peace in Jesus' name. Amen. They haven't even started walking yet. Do you think these people should have made it based on what you're seeing? In other words, God put them in a position where they were without excuse from not making it. Let's go a little further. We're almost home. He puts some more demands on them. He says, that which represents me, the tabernacle, dedicate it. So Moses anointed everything, sanctified everything, and dedicated it. And so the tabernacle was set apart just for them. I, I think it like this, and I think I hear the Holy Spirit. In other words, God say, I am dedicated to you. If you would remain dedicated to me. Isn't that something? That's covenant, isn't it? I'm in covenant with you. I'm committed to you. In other words, I am here. Watch. Thank you, Lord. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. That's what God is saying here. And so what Moses does is on the day that he set up the tabernacle, he anointed it. He sanctified it. Everything that was inside the forks, the vessels, the altars, everything. He anointed them and he sanctified them. God was set apart just for them. And they were to be set apart just for him. That's why when God looked at them, he called them my peculiar people. My special Estee Lauder collection. My Sigula. And then he told those in ministry, he said, the tabernacle, the people, the priesthood must be purified. So Aaron, Moses grabbed Aaron and all his sons and the Levites. He washed them. He anointed them. He set them apart. And even those serving in ministry were dedicated for the journey. Everyone was on the same page to go into promise. I can't see how they would fail. I cannot see how it's conceivable that this group would fail. It's kind of hard to truly envision how they would fail. Chapter 8, and the Levites were purified. Thank you, Lazardo. You're following me nicely. They washed their clothes. Aaron made an offering, made an atonement for them, and he cleansed them, and they were just about ready to go. That gets us to chapter 8. Here's the last thing. They were ready to march. They understood ministry. Now God was taking them one step higher. It's called mastery. Mastery means you can't fail. Not if you're following these things. So watch, watch what the journey looks like now. And I'm going to show you what I think is critical. Before they go, the night before they go, they celebrate Passover. The reason why they celebrate Passover is Passover reminds them of new beginnings. That's what it's designed for. It's the beginning of months. It symbolizes the beginning of the years on the religious calendar. And what Moses shows them is by celebrating Passover, the journey requires a new mind. Please whisper amen. Because you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. So they have this moment to celebrate that they think differently because where they're going is a different place from where they have come from. They cannot take the thought patterns of Egypt into Canaan in the same way that God would tell us that we should watch, renew our minds 
Isn't that right? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So they eat the Passover and they're thinking differently. I don't see how they can fail. Lord, I don't see. Kept the Passover. And all of the Israel did it with Moses. How do they fail? And then God tells them, just a few more things and we're almost done. He tells them, there's going to be a cloud that's going to go above your head. And when that cloud is going to rise over the tabernacle, it's going to sit up in the sky. And that cloud is going to go forward. When you see that cloud, start marching. Isn't that something? A cloud in the sky kept going with them. And they were to follow that cloud wherever that cloud was going because the journey is by spirit. That's what that cloud symbolizes, the spirit of God leading them. And so as many as are led by the spirit of God, Romans 8 verse 14, these are the sons of God. So God is setting them up to be sons, to get into promise. They don't listen to this. They don't have to make up the direction. They don't have to sit down, Val, and scratch their head. Where, which way do we go tomorrow? They don't have to Google map it. They don't have to do anything. There's a cloud that's going before them. Isn't that something? Do you know when Jesus was born, God did the same thing? He put a star in the sky so that the Magi didn't have to figure, well, where were they, they followed the star. And they came and they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. We have come to worship him. And the Bible then said, when Herod didn't know, he, they said, and the star went and rested over the house where the child was in Bethlehem. You see the mind of God. We don't have to make up the way. <laughs> because left up to us, guess what we would do? <laughs> we would mess it up. We absolutely would, as intelligent as I say, you say, we say we are. We would mess up the way. So the question I put to you tonight is online. How do they fail? They, they got a new mind according to the Passover. There's a cloud. It doesn't even end there. Watch this. The cloud was taken up. They journeyed. That's the scripture there, 917. But watch this, brothers and sisters. There was also the idea that the journey was by command. So Moses was going to give them commands. In other words, the journey is by word. So at the command of Moses, they marched. So Moses told them, Moses said, we're going this way. Everyone said, yes. So God began teaching them, watch, that anything I'm doing in the earth that represents the kingdom operates by a command center. It's a command. Can I take three minutes and show you that from Genesis to the book of Revelation, God operates by commands. So in the beginning when God was creating the earth, he didn't have a discussion with angels, correct? And the Lord said, let there be. And there was. Creation is by command. <laughs> Am I right? When they come out of Egypt, what's the first place Moses takes them to? He takes them to Mount Sinai so he can go up and get from God commands to give them commands. The journey is by command. In other words, watch, I'm not saying that pastor is trying to be a dictator. I'm saying that the journey is by God's word. Nevertheless, I'm in the New Testament now. Jesus comes 
and he's teaching his disciples that God works by a command center. So they went fishing all night and they caught nothing. I'm in Luke chapter 5. And when Jesus comes to see them in the morning, he says, have you caught anything? Peter's an expert. He says, we've caught nothing. Jesus says, cast the net on the other side. Guess what Peter says to Jesus? It's a beautiful conversation. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. You see how gracious God is? He'll give you a chance to tell him you're an expert. But he wants you to say one more thing. Nevertheless, at your word, we will let down the net. And you know the rest, right, Lucy? And they caught. And the boat was sinking because of what they caught. The journey is, it's not out of my head. It's out of the scriptures. The more I understand the scriptures, the more progressive I can be on the journey and willing to submit to the scriptures. And so the last point I will make to show you the power of command. Jesus, it's all over. He gave commands to go to the other side. He gave commands to do this. He told the little girl, Talita Kumai, get up. Not asking you to get, get up. <laughs> but the greatest story in the New Testament on commands is when the centurion comes to Jesus and says, come to my house, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, I'm coming. I'm sorry, I, I quoted that wrong. He said, my servant is sick. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. The man said, you don't have to come to my house because I'm a man under authority. And I give commands to one man. I tell him, go. And what does he do? He goes. I tell him, come. He does what? He comes. You just have to do what? Speak the word. The journey is by command. Anytime you see people arguing with God over his word, they're going nowhere. Anytime you have a spiritual leader telling people that God is saying, and there's debate, that ministry is going. <laughs> you sure you believe that? Remember the environment in which we live. We live in an age of democratic consensus. That is not what the scriptures teach. So I'm going to show you now. Watch, ready? Ready for it? And when the cloud was taken up, the children journeyed. In the place of the cloud, I think I pressed the wrong button. Sorry, guys. I'm going to 18. At the command of the Lord, the children journeyed. At the command of the Lord, they stopped. So they marched by command. They stopped by command. As long as the cloud was on the tabernacle, they rested. Look at verse number 23. At the command of the Lord, they rested. At the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Tinkle something now, son. <laughs> Thank you. And the last thing, and it's 8 o'clock. They were going to move by a trumpet. So God told Moses, hammer out some silver trumpets. And when the time is right, blow the trumpet. And so the journey is not just by cloud and command. It's also by sound. So that he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. And it's interesting because this is what I find beautiful of the scriptures. The trumpeteer had to know how to blow the trumpet. Because there was one sound for war, one sound for stopping, another sound for marching. So the trumpeteer 
is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Knowing what sound to give to the church that has ears. There's a scripture, and, and here's the verse, by the way, because we're through now. There's a scripture in Psalm 40. It says this, Sacrifice and offerings you didn't want, God, but a body you've prepared for me. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O God. But when you read that scripture in the Hebrew text, it says, Lo, I come in the roll of the scroll. Ears have you dug for me. Do you see that? You can't do the will of God unless you're willing to listen or hear. See how important hearing is? And so everyone in this place, I would say, just like my prayer and our prayer should be, Lord, give us ears to hear. Dig ears for us that we would hear. Because in the Bible, hearing is not just you listening to my voice. To prove that you've heard in the Bible, you should have done. So hearing is twofold. You take in, you do. And once you've done, it testifies to God that I have heard. If I only listen and do nothing, I have not heard from God. And so he made two trumpets. And they were to use that for the journeys of the camp. And here's my conclusion one. Tell me if you agree. If this is what God has done, watch. Conclusion number one. They're only steps away using this model from promise. Does anyone know how many days it would have taken them from Sinai? 11 days. 11 days to get where they wanted to go. 11 days would have gotten them to the bank of the place called Kadesh Barnea. Then they cross the Jordan and they're in Jericho. 11 days turned into how many years, Robert? 40 years with all of this preparation. We're only steps away if we do the things that God wants us to do. If time, think about this for me, with me for a moment. If God gives us a vision and it just keeps going on and we can't see it, we've got to stop saying we're waiting for God. We've got to stop blaming God for the things that we are not doing. Making it like the Lord's not ready yet. God, we're waiting on God and God's a God of time and he's all, he may not come when we want him, but he's... What delays us in most cases... It's us. You know how I know that to be true? Because he's taking us somewhere for his glory and for the good of humanity. So think about all the people that die while we say we're waiting on God. And for that, we have to give an account because it was on our watch. So if I know God, he is right now standing in a position ready to bless your family, my family, this city, this province, this country. And he waits for us to realize that we're only steps away if we do the things that he's asked us to do. My second conclusion is this. So they departed from the mountain. They went on their journey three days. And the ark went to search out a resting place for them. God started working for them right away. Here's my second conclusion. 
if you do things, if we do things, I do things the way God prescribes, promise is a guarantee. It's, it's my response again to my friend who wrote the, it's a guarantee. Because watch, all the promises of God, they are yes and amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So here's the final scripture for tonight. Am I going too fast for you guys that are writing? Here's the final scripture to show you that it's a guarantee. So if you were to ask me, Pastor, I would say, yes, Rhema has been in this wilderness far too long. <laughs> far, far too long. And we are responsible for that. Any ministry watching say, well, we had a... Far too long. The global body, far too long. It's no secret. Here's the final scripture. It came to pass when the ark set forward. Listen to what Moses said. Rise up, Lord. Can you imagine that? What's the other scripture that comes to your mind? Something should come to your mind from the Psalms. Let God arise. Let his enemies be. You know it. How can God rise up and we lose? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense, right? Rise up, Lord. Let thy enemies be scattered. And let those that hate you run from you. (laughs) Promise is guaranteed. And this is the preparatory stage. I'm at chapter 10 now. I've taken you to chapter 10. Next week when you come, we're going to start complaining. (laughs) After all of that, can you imagine? After all that God does, we dare to complain. Why do we complain? Because there's an enemy inside of us that's fighting against where God wants us to go. And we've got to take that enemy and bring that enemy in subjection. I think I'm done because I'm going to be at Q&A. I keep pressing the wrong button. Sorry, guys. I'm at Q&A. Listen, it's 8.10. I was 10 minutes over. I'm really working hard, guys. Please, please forgive me. Do we have any questions tonight? Anything at all on what we talked about? My friend, I hope I answered your question. I pray that I answered your question in Jesus' name. Any questions at all before we go? Or anything that's on your mind? Robert, there's a question. Isn't there from online? That's beautiful, Joel. That's beautiful. There is a question online. Yes. And the question is, could you please provide some clarity as to why Judah was chosen as the line for the Messiah instead of one of the other tribe before them. Okay, so let me see if I got the question. Can I clarify why Judah was chosen? Why Judah was chosen as the line for the Messiah instead of one of the other tribes before them. Right, so I'm going to say this. I hope it's it's an escape clause for me. I don't know God's mind on that because of... (laughs) Other than Benjamin, Judah is probably the, the next worst brother. So, but I think inherent in his name is perhaps what God is pulling on. So when his mother, his mother is Leah, if, I, if I'm correct, she names him Judah. The word Judah means, let God be praised. I think his name speaks to his destiny in that when Messiah comes, God will be praised. 
I don't think when God makes selections in the Old Testament, much of those selections are not based on people's character. So if you look at it, some of the people that God chooses, their character is suspect, including Judah. So I think it's God reaching into the name of the boy, making a selection based on his name, ultimately the destination or the destiny of that child. That would be my only thought on that. Okay? All right. Thank you. Can Any I other? have my personal question over here? Yes, Robert, please. Um, you mentioned that assignment is by Beth. Robert, okay. do me a favor. Speaking to the mics, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that assignment is by Beth. And you also said that assignment is by ordination. Mm-hmm. Um, in our current world, we realize that when we are born, we start going through training in the house and we go through training in our schools. Mm-hmm. And when we go, they teach us all these subjects. And uh, we've come to a point that a person's wife is actually linked to his wife. Right. And some of the jobs actually pay better than others. Mm-hmm. And through the training that we get through education, yeah. we kind of come to a point that we align and we choose that this is what I want to do. Right. How do we actually, you know, um, take this and be able to identify what we are truly actually given birth to? Did you hear the question he's asking? Because really what you're really targeting, Robert, is what's wrong with the educational system? at heart and who's at the head of the educational system. If you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 54 verse 13, you will see God's heart for the educational system bigger than just in the, in the church community. It's really because this is what it's designed for. The educational system should be designed to prepare people for their assignment in the world. So who sits in those seats is critical to God. Their ability to impart, even the very subjects and how we impart them, matter in preparing people for their assignment in the world. So Isaiah 54, 13 says something like this, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Then he goes on further, because this is the passage of Scripture that contains verse 17. When you get down to verse 17, you discover that no weapon formed against you shall prosper it is said in the context of education and so what what and this is why i believe that the kingdom of god has to recover the discipline of education that's one thing that we send my children to school okay i mean fine but the person sitting there teaching your child preparing your child for a destiny that god has for them doesn't know god (laughs) you see the conundrum So how can they pull out what is inside when they don't even know the one who's placed it on the inside? So when I teach, I say part of recovering the kingdom is recovering that discipline because that discipline is critical. So you have a group of people now, some people make make it through, but there's a vast group of people that go to school and still have no idea. (laughs) Anyone know what I'm talking about? No idea what they're, why they're even here what they're supposed to be doing. And I thought the educational system was the incubator that prepared us to step into our destiny. They even use terms that they don't even know, electives. So you start choosing electives that align with what you believe and where you're supposed to be going. That should begin the moment the child leaves the home. And I'll tell you this, the home should be the first incubator. 
the laying on of hands of the father and the mother and the seeing, if you can, into the future of that child because they have been entrusted to you as the Lord's heritage and they become arrows in the hand of a and they speak with the enemies in the gate then you take them to institutions that continue that nurture institutions that continue and then you release them into the world in the purpose and calling that God has designed for their lives if I were the devil I would attack the academic institutions of this world if I were the devil if I were him I would I would attack the so that they become a place of you know confusion and all different philosophies and everything going on there because they play a critical role in the development of people so you're right Robert we have people that have gone to school still have no clue what is my assignment what is my birthright in the earth and then we're left to do what get jobs because <laughs> we have to eat we've got to live somewhere we've got to put clothes on so now we operate in God's world, listen to this, in survival mode, in your father's world. That's a contradiction. Watch, put it like this, brothers and sisters. Let's say the earth is God's and it's a house. So the earth is God's house, isn't it? And you and I are sons and daughters in our father's surviving? Your children in your house, Val, do they survive in your house? So what we're going to eat this week? <laughs> Right? They open the fridge and everything is there for them because as a father and a mother, you provide. And they just open the fridge and they take and they drink and they eat. And you ask them to do a few things, but they never live in the house thinking, oh, I don't know how I'm going to survive. Take it up one level in the spirit. How do we live in God's world with them? How am I going to live, survive? That's one area that the devil has attacked and destroyed Robert. And he knows systematically, we teach this all the time, that's a mountain that he's taken possession of, that we need to take possession of. And once we can do that effectively, you would see that we can turn generations around. Does that help anyone? Okay. Can I have a second question? Please. How will we answer somebody who has actually gotten into something in ministry or any career and quotes this i can do all things through christ who strengthens me yes so my question is very my answer is very simple i can do everything that i'm called to do <laughs> that, that's my answer because remember scripture remember the first one of our first lessons hermeneutics scripture interprets scripture so god will not contradict himself i can do all things through christ somebody help me philippians 4 19 i'm going to take a guess right but i've got to take that and put that with first corinthians 7 22. let everyone abide in there so i can do everything that i'm called to do <laughs> that's what people need to understand i'm not called to do everything but in that which i'm called to do i can do all things in that so if i'm a pastor whatever is given to pastoral ministries I can do all things in that. I can't go and say, well, you know, God told me, so I'm going to watch. And you and I know this to be true. I'm not going on the football field next Sunday to play football. Am I right? Because you'll wheel me back in here with a cast saying, I can do all things. We know that to be true. Do what you are called to do and do everything in that lane 
that God has called you to do. Make sense? Thank you, Robert. Appreciate that question or those questions. Any more questions, everyone, before we go tonight? And nothing else coming through online. All right, it's 8:20. Let's stand on our feet, everyone. Thank you so much for hearing and listening tonight. Would you do me a favor? Help us. Help me. I, I told you this, right? I spoke to you this week. When you see us people not following God's order, let's hold each other accountable. You're not going to do it. I know you're not going to. You're going to say, "Ah, it's not their business." But put it like this: What I do and you do is connected to our progress and our ability to get in. So speak, watch, speak the truth to each other in love. Say to someone, "That's not how we do things here. This is how we do things here." And can I tell you this? It doesn't matter what tier of leadership they're in. Speak the truth to each other in love. Don't say, well, "I'm not going to speak because that person is the." Because we're supposed to hold each other accountable, and guess what? If somebody in the highest tier of leadership cannot take correction, they have no right giving it. So the ability to give it is predicated on the ability to receive it. And so we stop being in fear of each other because the destination is greater than how I feel, how you feel. It matters that we get in. And when we get in, we'll say, "I thank God that I was able to speak to my sister, and she received it." That's what the Bible teaches. You know, if your brother has something, go to him and speak to him, and I pray that he hears. Would you lift your hands with me tonight? They're not heavy, so don't make like they are. I'm going to talk to you from time to time like that. You know, don't do me like that, because we need to get in. Val, a Nigerian told me. Lady told me she she was here. She she since left the ministry. She said she took me out to the hallway. She said you should be here by. She was pointing to those pictures on the wall. She said you should be here by now, and she was literally scolding me, and I had to do this. Yes, ma'am. She's right, and that goes to the body of Christ. We should be further than where we are right now. We should be stepping into glories, and multiplying those glories. We've prayed enough prayers, and we continue to pray. We've worshipped hard. You've sown millions of dollars over the years on this altar. God is not faithless to forget our labor of love. The body of Christ should be further along. So we commit to being a people of order, ordered for marching, ordered for ministry, and ordered for mastery. We command all things in our lives to come in order. And we open our mouths. Help me tonight. We command everything in this ministry to come in alignment. Open your mouth with me. Don't be afraid. We command every tier and strata of this ministry to come in alignment with God. We command every person to line up with what God has ordained. In the name of Jesus, speak louder, everyone. We command the body of Jesus Christ to come in alignment. In the name of Jesus, on every continent, in every nation, we command the body, we command the global church to come in alignment. Now we command ourselves, our flesh, to be subject to the will of God. In the name of Jesus, it's time for us to go in 
He brought us out to bring us in, in our generation, in the name of Jesus. And we shall go in, in the name of Jesus. Open your mouth with me. Open your mouth. Be bold about it. Don't be timid about it. Be bold about it. We shall go in, in the name of Jesus. Satan, the Lord rebuke you. We shall go in, in the name of Jesus. We shall go in our children's children shall be blessed in the name of Jesus father expedite the journey now set all things in order remove all uncleanness from this house bring all things in subjection to your will in the name of Jesus so that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us now the Lord bless us and keep us the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord God of heaven and earth give us peace in our going out and our coming in. In the name of Jesus Christ. I need somebody to shout amen in the sanctuary. Shout amen in the chat. Shout amen. And amen. And amen. The Lord bless us tonight. We're back here again next Wednesday. We're going to learn from the Israelites. The altars are open if you'd like to sow a seed. Please greet someone, love someone, spread love in the chat. And may the Lord bless us as we go in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.